Welcome to Let's Review RN. My name is Bryn O'Donnell, and I'm a certified adult and geriatric nurse practitioner. I work as a cardiology APN and function as a visiting professor and clinical instructor for a BSN program. This is an independent production by myself, and I am not representing any educational institution. My goal is to deliver a condensed but robust review on topics primarily discussed in Adult Health 1 and 2 and some pieces of pharmacology of a bachelor degree nursing program. Over the years, I've learned that students have an immense amount of confusion and questions when they leave didactic, which makes applying what they are learning nearly impossible to the clinical setting. I want to break down the basics so that you can continue to build upon your knowledge and put the pieces together. Hi, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of Let's Review RN. I have something special for you today. I actually am bringing on a former colleague of myself, Brittany Schultz. She is a cardiology nurse practitioner as well, but she also has some special knowledge in peripheral arterial disease as well as peripheral vascular disease. So I'm bringing her on to share her knowledge with you, and today's episode will be all about peripheral arterial disease. So let's get into it. So I'm bringing Brittany on the podcast today because she knows way more about peripheral arterial disease and peripheral vascular disease than I do. So why not um, ask the expert or the one who deals with it every day? So Brittany, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and what you do on a daily basis, and then we'll kind of get into the questions. Awesome. Thanks for having me today, Bren. I am Brittany, Brittany Schultz. Um, I work at Mercy Heart and Vascular in St. Louis at Mercy South Hospital. And I've been in my current role as a nurse practitioner for about three and a half years. I collaborate with an interventional cardiologist that does both cardiac interventions on the heart, on the peripheral arterial system, not just the arteries, but also the veins. So day to day, I get a lot of exposure to not only the general stuff you think of with the heart with like high blood pressure or management of congestive heart failure, but also peripheral artery disease, including the um, venous system and the heart. Awesome. So today we're going to talk mostly about peripheral arterial disease, right? Peripheral artery disease. Um, So can you kind of define uh, PAD for everyone listening? Yes. So peripheral artery disease or PAD is defined as atherosclerosis of the arteries of the lower extremities. Atherosclerosis is the systemic disease of the large and medium-sized arteries that cause either focal or diffuse narrowing of the blood vessels. So when we look at that, we're thinking about accumulation of lipid and fibrous material between the intimal and medial layers of the vessel. Awesome. Um, So let's talk a little bit about uh, prevalence of PAD. So prevalence. Prevalence, there is between 3 and 12% of the worldwide population that suffers from peripheral arterial disease. Now, that can be very minimal symptoms or asymptomatic patients with a very mild ABI test, which we'll talk about. Or that can be patients that have severe peripheral artery disease who wind up with amputation. Okay. So that encompasses all sorts of patients, all different um patients on on different levels of the spectrum, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. So thinking about that, we think about common 
causes of peripheral artery disease and patients at higher risk. So when you think about patients who have similar risk factors for developing coronary artery disease, those that are smokers, those are, that are diabetic, who have high cholesterol or family history of premature disease, those are the patients that we think of that have this. So when we think about common causes of peripheral artery disease, we think about patients who are also at risk for developing coronary artery disease. So those that are smokers, those who have like high cholesterol readings, family history of premature disease, and patients with diabetes. The American College of Cardiology and the American Heart Association guidelines on PAD identify risk groups that are associated with an increased prevalence of peripheral artery disease and earlier onset of symptomatic PAD. These patients are those that would be over the age of 70, a history of smoking or diabetes, patients with diabetes and another risk factor like smoking, high cholesterol, or family history. And then others that could have peripheral artery disease are those with leg symptoms of claudication, that being with exertion, or even pain at rest. Sometimes whenever you look at patients that have an abnormal lower extremity pulse, that's a risk factor. Um, or patients who have atherosclerosis in other areas like the coronary arteries, carotid arteries, or renal arteries. So... You did mention some symptoms. Um, can you kind of explain a little bit further as far as what signs and symptoms would indicate someone may or may not have peripheral artery disease? Yes. So patients can be asymptomatic or think symptoms that they're experiencing in their legs are related to other things and not the arteries. So it's really important to ask patients questions about their activity level and their walking abilities, as well as looking at their legs and asking if they have any poor or non-healing ulcers on the lower extremities. So asking about exercise is really important. A class book classic textbook definition um, is something that we talk about is intermittent claudication. So a patient will tell you, when I walk to my mailbox, I have calf cramping. When I rest, it goes away. But if I start walking again, it's reproducible. So again, intermittent claudication is defined as a reproducible discomfort of a specific group of muscles that's induced by exercise and then alleviated or relieved with rest. So that can happen in the calves, it can happen in the thighs, and in the buttocks. Those are the most common levels that patients would describe the claudication, and that's an indicator to us of where the disease is. Other things are, like we talked about, ulceration or poor healing on the lower extremity. Oftentimes, ischemic ulcers start as a minor traumatic wound, but then there's failure of healing because of the lack of blood supply to meet the demand of the healing wound or the healing tissue. So you look at the legs or the feet and you see an ulceration on the tip of a toe. Um, skin discoloration and gangrene are other things that are signs and symptoms of disease. So extremity ischemia alters the appearance of the skin. So, you know, we all know what a, a black toe looks like. That's not good. But other more subtle things would be maybe discoloration of a certain area, focal discoloration of an extremity. When a patient puts their leg up, it becomes pale or has a whitish discoloration. And when they lower their leg, you get this redness or this ruddy appearance. 
One other thing that's, excuse me, that's really important um, is looking at their pulses. So a lot of times we get going on our day-to-day, we're doing an assessment, we have a lot of things to do, and we don't look at the feet or feel the pulses. A a diminished pulse is a really, really, really cheap and quick way to see is there presence or lack of an adequate pulse that's perfusing the foot. Okay, so now let's say you or a patient has some of these symptoms and they feel like they need some type of intervention or they want some actual diagnosis. How do you diagnose PAD other than assessing a patient? What are the diagnostic studies that give you definitive or um, a more definite answer as to whether or not the diagnosis is actually PAD? So there are lots of tests, and I think we could probably have a podcast day of just talking about them. But to give a brief overview of the tests, I want to talk about the most common tests and what and how they work. So the most common test we think of with peripheral artery disease diagnosis is an ABI. This stands for ankle brachial index, and it's commonly used Um, relatively inexpensive, well-tolerated, and it's non-invasive. So this test looks at the highest resting systolic blood pressure at the ankle and compares it with the highest systolic brachial pressure. And then there's a ratio of those two that help to define what the actual ABI value is. This then predicts the level or amount of peripheral artery disease present. So that one is the most common test. Um, while you're doing that test, there's doppling of pulses and measurements taken in the arms and the legs. So another test that's often used is something called an ABI with segmental pressure. So it gives you that ABI, but it also looks at the specific segments throughout the legs. And this helps us to predict where or what degree and level of disease is present in each segment of the leg. Other forms of non-invasive testing include a toe brachial index, where we measure toe pressures as opposed to the the pressures in the arms. And then we also use something called an ABI with exercise. So you do the normal ABI, but then you have the patient do certain series of toe taps and you measure that pressure, kind of like a stress test for the feet. Along with these modalities, there's another invasive non-invasive procedure. It's called an abdominal angiogram with lower extremity runoff, also known as an arteriogram. And this is basically a non-invasive way to kind of look at the legs like an x-ray, and it looks at those specific blood vessels in the legs to detect disease. If one of the non-invasive tests suggests that there's disease that would require an intervention, an aortoiliac femoral angiogram along mouthful to also known as an AIF is performed. This is an invasive assessment of the arterial system. It's performed by either a vascular provider or a lot of interventional cardiologists perform them as well. They do this in the cath lab. um, And what they do is they access the arteries usually at the femoral level and they shoot dye similar to a cardiac cath looking at the blood flow in the lower extremity. This is where we kind of lead into treatment options. So if during that AIF, they find an area that has a stenosis that would require an intervention, they can either do a ballooning, stenting, and even atherectomy where they kind of roto-root that vessel to restore blood flow. Depending on what level the blockage is at and where it is in the leg, that helps to kind of let you know 
how extensive their disease is and what the success rate would be. If you have a blockage in the bend of your knee and you put a stent there, it, it can get bent. So, you know, somewhere there may not last as long as a stent in a different area of the leg. As far as other treatment options go, when we think about peripheral artery disease, it really depends on the degree of disease. So if somebody has a very mildly ABI, a lot of times we start with a walking program. We want them to develop collateral circulation. So this is defined as like 30 to 45 minutes of exercise most days of the week. If patients complain of that intermittent claudication, you encourage them to push to that point if possible and sometimes pass that if they can. That helps to develop collateral circulation and improves their stamina and walking distance. Other things that we can consider are like antiplatelet therapy. Some patients are on 81 milligrams of aspirin or 75 milligrams of Plavix daily also known as clopidogrel. Sometimes in medicine, we have guidelines that are, that are really cut and dry, and you say, if you have this disease, then you get this medicine. In peripheral artery disease, there are certain things we use, but it's not quite streamlined of everybody gets aspirin or everybody gets Plavix. Another medication that provides symptomatic relief, a class is used, they don't reverse the disease, but they help with that claudication, are medications called Pletol and Trental. So those are some of the treatment options. So can I ask you, um, besides medications, and are there lifestyle modifications that you educate your patients on for patients who have mild PAD? Yeah, so the mild PAD patients, if they're a smoker, we absolutely encourage them to cut back and ultimately quit smoking. We know that stopping smoking has alone improved ABI readings and improved their symptoms completely. Other things, if their cholesterol is out of range, we do initiate statin therapy. And other things like early prevention of diabetes, education on the importance of managing a hemoglobin A1C for overall systemic arterial health. Okay. And so I I really think I only have about probably just one more question. And that's really um, a patient who has PAD, what is their risk of developing cardiovascular disease? Or I guess it could be asked a patient who has cardiovascular disease, what is their risk for developing PAD? So as far as like percentages go, they are somewhat widespread. Some literature will say you have up to a 40% risk. So if you have peripheral artery disease, that is about 40% of those patients also have some degree of coronary artery disease. Since peripheral artery disease is a manifestation of systemic atherosclerosis or placking, a lower ABI is very predictive of an increased risk of all-cause mortality and cardiovascular mortality. And when we look at that, we know that if you have peripheral artery disease, you have a higher risk of developing coronary disease. Because of this, it's really important as providers that we do take the time to look at the patient's feet, ask them questions about their walking abilities and about poor healing wounds as well as feeling those pulses. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you doing this with me today. I know that you are a busy working woman, you have children, and it's just awesome that you've taken the time out of your day to do this with me. And I really appreciate it. And I hope that you will come back and talk about peripheral vascular disease. 
Absolutely. Uh, as we do multiple takes to work through the toddlers and uh, the things that life throw us, I think it's awesome that we have this bond together to be able to walk through our profession together and to help educate people about the things that we all really want to know more about. This podcast is for general information review purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine or nursing. The use of this information or any materials provided by Let's Review RN are at the user's own risk. This content is not intended to be a substitute for educational teachings through students' educational institutes or organizations.